Welcome to Pound the Rock, NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined by my two fellow co-hosts, Joseph Cacharo. Joe. What's going on? And uh, Joe Wolfon. What up? We are here to talk um, about the NBA at, at the eve of the playoffs. There are some teams in turmoil. There's actually more than a few teams in turmoil, but uh, the two teams that really stand out are the Spurs and the Raptors. Let's first talk about the Spurs. This Kawhi Leonard saga, it has not stopped. It is continuing on. Um, Kawhi has still only played nine games. The latest that we've heard is that Popovich said whenever Kawhi and, quote, his group determine that he's ready to play, he'll come back. And that, uh, you know, firmly puts sort of some sort of distance between um, the Spurs organization and their star player, which is very rare. It doesn't really happen much for the Spurs, but it's an awkward situation. And... A recent report from Brian Windhorst and also confirmed by his ESPN colleague Zach Lowe um, said that teams will be ready for uh, trade packages to be sent towards San Antonio, especially around the time of the draft, if this frostiness continues between the two sides. So let's uh, let's skip ahead to that draft time. Let's say Kawhi is still at odds with the Spurs. He hasn't played in the playoffs. Um, you know, there's clearly some issues there. And your arrival GM. Um, make your best trade offer to the Spurs. We'll start with Wolfon. Um, I think the Sixers probably have a pretty good offer to make uh, mm-hmm. because more than likely they have that Lakers pick incoming. Assuming that pick doesn't fin- uh, fall two to five, they're getting that pick, which is probably going to be, what, like the 12th overall pick? Um, so you have that pick in your pocket, um, and the package that I, I feel like I would put together is Dario Saric, that Lakers pick and Robert Covington. Um, you match up salary wise. Covington is on what I think is a pretty fair deal for the next four years. And the new Danny Green, because Danny Green's also expiring. Yeah, this is like Danny Green, Jonathan Simmons. Like he, he's a very Spursy wing, a mm-hmm. guy who can hit threes and play defense, um, and is long, pretty athletic. Um, and then Saric to me is also just kind of like a prototypical Spurs player, a big man who can move, who can pass who can shoot, who can pretty much do everything and is really starting to like come into his own this season, I think, and also on a very, very reasonable deal for two years after this one. And um, then you're talking about the Spurs having a lottery pick, which is something they haven't had since they drafted Tim Duncan 21 years ago. So I think, I don't know, like it's crazy because Kawhi is when he's healthy, a top five talent in the NBA. And that package seems a little light for a guy of his caliber. But if you look at the situation, him missing pretty much an entire season with a mysterious injury, and you don't really know what's going on with him, what he's going to look like when he comes back. There's a lot of uncertainty there that I think is probably going to flatten the market for him a little bit. And the fact that he's only on the books for one more season, I think is going to put a lot of teams off. Um, Not from putting together offers or trying to get him, but from throwing in kind of like really significant assets. You know, I don't think you see the Sixers putting Ben Simmons on the table in a package, but um, that's a package I would feel comfortable with. I don't know if it's going to be enough for the Spurs, but uh, I feel like that's a pretty decent offer for a team that would be really scary with Kawhi in the lineup. All right, Cash, what's your best offer? Yeah, before I get to that, I just want to point out just how uh, the whole Kawhi Leonard situation has really kind of reminded me and really hit home for me just how – you know, it's, it's very cliche to say and easy to say going into a year, like nothing's guaranteed, th- things depend on health. But even just big picture, 
long term, how little is guaranteed in the NBA and pro sports in general. Like, you mm-hmm. look at Kawhi and the Spurs. This was flat out as perfect a pairing as you could have in terms of franchise and franchise star. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The quiet, kind of humble superstar, doesn't really crave the lime, like that kind of thing. Kawhi was perfect for San Antonio. And then it's like one very random quad injury. Which we've never even seen exactly, happen. Yeah. When one, did this quad injury happen? Apparently random, it happened last year. Mysterious but. quad injury yeah. that either never healed properly or you know maybe from his side he thinks the Spurs didn't handle whatever the case may be, this random leg injury is now potentially the beginning of the end for his time there and maybe even the beginning of the end of this Spurs dynasty. You know, you're seeing it this year. They're not going to win 50 games for the first time in a long time. 18 years. An 18-year streak of 50 wins, and, and they broke it. Yeah, it's just like a very stark reminder of all that. You know, whether you go back years ago to when everyone just assumed OKC was going to pile on championships or, you know, right now with the fact that Kawhi and the Spurs were a match made in heaven, he'd be in San Antonio forever. Mm-hmm. Whether it's people thinking, you know, the Warriors are never going to lose with this group. Like, literally nothing is guaranteed, and I think this kind of reminds us that um all right so what's what's the offer what's the, the deal no one the, uh, no one's gonna shed a tear for san antonio all right let's be real they've had so much success like cry for right, pop, though. wow cry for one pop. time they, they they have real issues um i'm gonna go a little off the board okay i think the celtics would be an easy one because everyone knows their assets but i'm gonna go a little off the board with a team that um is kind of desperate is very desperate okay. to win now whether that's making the playoffs this year or when the draft comes and trying to actually get good next year but it's the denver nuggets Okay. The Denver Nuggets have a ton of young talent. They're extremely deep. Sometimes they're so deep, they're almost too deep at times because mm-hmm. um, Mike Malone doesn't see. Yeah, Mike Malone doesn't seem to uh, know how to juggle those minutes properly, right. uh, night in and night out. But the Nuggets putting together a package centered around Gary Harris, and then you throw in a, maybe a young big like Trey Lyles, efficient young big, very San Antonio esque. Uh, throw in. A draft pick, probably a 2018 first, which, you know, not a great pick. They'd be like middle of the first round. But still, you can add some future picks to that if you want to. And it's not the sexiest deal from San Antonio's perspective. But again, at the same time, I think San Antonio, if they are going to move Kawhi, has to be a little realistic in the Mm -hmm. sense that this is potentially a rental for a team. It's a one-year rental. And then on the other side, a lot of teams wouldn't want to flip a guy like Gary Harris, who's... Uh, very good young two-way swingman that they just signed to a four or five-year extension, whatever it was. But I think Denver is one of those few teams that would do it just because of how desperate they are. They went out and got Paul Millsap. He was injured. They might not make the playoffs again this year. Malone's probably on the hot seat. He might not even be the coach next year. The Cronkies, the owners, are very much the type that are win now and not necessarily plan for six years ahead. Mm-hmm. They need to fill that building. Like their Their attendance has been terrible the last few years since they've been last been a playoff team. I think... That's a deal that could make sense for both sides. The Spurs get, you know, a guy that's under contract for four more years that probably fits their system. Mm-hmm. And then Nuggets, if you end up with a core of Leonard, Jokic, Murray, and Millsap, I mean, you've got to at least like their chances to compete for the two seed. Yeah, I mean, I think getting Kawhi would really fit uh, the Nuggets just to balance them out. But, I mean, look, realistically, they're not going to get full value on a superstar like that, especially after, you know... Um, Kawhi doesn't play this entire season, and he's got this mysterious injury. No one quite knows if he's going to be healthy, whether he feels healthy or is just physically healthy. I think. Uh, I mean, I think there's also a sense that he wants to go to a big market, and, right. and that's maybe like part of what's driving the schism right now. Like he he was unhappy about the deal that he got from Jordan Brand, mm-hmm. and maybe feels like he's toiling away in obscurity a little bit in San Antonio. So I I don't know that. Uh, you know, a trade to a team like Denver or a team like Phoenix, you know, a team that might have the assets, but 
isn't necessarily going to be able to keep him is the kind of thing that we should be looking for. You know what I'm saying? Well, if you want a big market, <laughs> if you want a doomsday scenario, you know what trade uh, would work in terms of salary cap machinations? Uh, Clay Thompson. All right. A trade centered around Clay Thompson. Hey, look, I, I mean, would you doubt Bob Myers from, from calling? I mean, do you actually think that... They're saving the, they're saving the Clay Thompson trade ship for um, Anthony Davis. Look, all I'm saying... Yeah, is, I mean... Yeah. I'd say there's a greater than happening. 0% chance that the Warriors would call. Oh, no oh, call yeah. for sure. And would be willing yeah, to yeah. talk about a package that's but, clay. But I mean, like, here's the thing. Like, when Indiana made Paul George available, uh, and they called, Indiana called um, Golden State last summer about Clay Thompson, the Warriors hung up on them. Is, <laughs> this a, is this a familiar scenario with a 3 and D, elite 3 and D player coming to them? No, Obviously, because Paul, Paul George is not Kawhi. He's like, not. He's not. And, but he's healthy. And he's not, like, mysteriously absent. That's, that's... I also think it's one year later, though. That's one less year now of team control they have uh, over Clay. Yeah. And his contract will be coming up, I think, not okay. next year, but the year after. So I think that has to be taken into account, too. Like Joe mentioned, A, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and B, it's one year into the future now and one year closer to them eventually having to make a decision on Clay. Mm. This is why, first of all, I mean, I don't, I don't really see the, the Spurs trading Kawhi no. to the Warriors. No. Um, I don't think you want to you know, support your rival like that. If you're going to trade Kawhi, you want to trade him to somewhere he wants to go. He's from L.A. And, you know, the Lakers are right there. And the Lakers have a lot of young players, a lot of cap space. You know, you guys are trying to send contracts back to San Antonio. San Antonio still needs to uh, pay Pau Gasol and stuff. They probably want to shed some money. So here's my offer, all right? And it doesn't sound that great in terms of value. But, again, you have to keep in mind that you do not get full dollar in return. Uh, when you trade a superstar, especially one with the circumstances that Kawhi is under right now. Brandon Ingram, 2018 first-round pick, that's from Cleveland, and 2019 first-round pick of the Lakers at the time of the draft. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't blow me away. It doesn't blow I'm me just, away. I'm but Spurs would really have to believe in Brandon Ingram's talent, which they might. I mean, he, he's, very he, he's shown a lot of promise, I think. Yeah. And he's really young, yeah. um, still pretty unrefined. But like, I think he, he's made enough strides in year two to mm-hmm. entice a team, not necessarily the Spurs, but a team to, to believe in his upside to the extent they'd be willing to trade a star for him. Um, but I don't I mean, know. I just think like the leverage wise, like obviously that's not like that's if you're if you're just talking about fair value, that's like not the same equivalent value you would get it for Kawhi, but it's the value that's available to you, right? I feel like you like your trade packages, like some of them are even offering too much. Yeah, because well, like here's another thing to consider too is yeah. like if if Kawhi puts them in this position where he's like, look, I'm not gonna resign with you. I want you to trade me and these are the teams that I want to be traded to. Like he does have all the leverage there because mm-hmm. if he, if, if you're a team like Denver say, yeah. and Kawhi is saying straight up, look, I, I'm not going to resign. Like you're going to get me for one year and that's it. Then suddenly like they, they don't really have any negotiating power there. He's being like, he has a chance to say like, look, you trade me to the Lakers or trade me nowhere. Trade me to the Lakers, trade me to Boston. But mm-hmm. like, I'm going to tell Denver, I'm going to tell Phoenix that I'm not going to resign there. So you're not going to be able to work out a trade where mm-hmm. you get the young assets you want. Um, he could do that, right? And like he, he's going to have all the all the negotiating power there and have a chance basically to get himself to a, situ- a situation that he wants to be in. And um, that's going to be really interesting, you know? Right. Um, 
his physical is going to be really interesting. His like, physical is going to be very interesting because it's going to say he's fine, except he's going to say, I don't feel great. And honestly, like, do you think there's a chance of rehabilitation between them and the Spurs? I think there's always a chance, especially because it's the Spurs. Uh, you saw what happened with LaMarcus. I, right. I don't know if the LaMarcus situation ever got this bad, but no. they clearly rehab that relationship, and it seems to be going swimmingly right now. He's had an unbelievable season. So uh, if any organization can rehab a broken situation, it's probably the Spurs. But it, it feels like it's tipping past the point of no return when um, – you have different people saying different things publicly mm-hmm. about what's going on. And yeah. um, I don't know. Just, the feeling that I have is that it's it's moving too far in the wrong direction for them to save it. But um, never bet against the Spurs, right? Yeah. You got to feel bad for Manu, though. Manu's pretty much just begging the media every single day, like, man, I'm 41 years old. I came back for this. Like, we come on. We're going to make one last push for our title. And Kawhi's like, mm, no, we're not. Anyway. From one team in dysfunction and disarray to another, the Toronto Raptors, which is, you know, an exaggeration. They're still in first place, but they've dropped some extremely nasty losses of late. Losing to Boston, uh, a very shorthanded Boston team without Kyrie Irving, without Marcus Smart, uh, without Daniel Tyson in his t-shirt. Um, losing twice to Cleveland, one time very competitive uh, and another time not competitive whatsoever. Um, losing to the Clippers and also losing to OKC. Their defense is has fallen to 24th um, since the All-Star break. Um, they don't look good, the Raptors, right now. Um, all the swagger that they had in pretty much December to f- March when they went 40-10 and 10 throughout the middle course of the season. Uh, at the end of the year, the Raptors are making sort of a familiar swoon. And let me just ask you, based on yesterday's game, Cash, are you worried about the Raptors? I mean, look, the Raptors could have gone into the playoffs in a 17-game winning streak and won 64 games, and come that Saturday, 12.30 p.m. game, I would be concerned about the Toronto Raptors. Mm. So the fact that they're uh, in this kind of late-season swoon, I guess I'm a little more concerned about them than I would have already been. Uh, I do want to see how tonight goes uh, with Boston in town basically going to decide first place for the most part. If the Raptors win, they've got it locked up. Mm-hmm. Um, if they finish strong, they beat Boston, beat Indiana, look like themselves. You know, I still think they'll be fine, and I still think a lot of it just depends on how long they can avoid the Cavs in the playoffs. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there definitely are reasons to be concerned. The defense, as you mentioned, has fallen off a cliff. Um, they don't look very interested in defending, which maybe you can look to that as a positive, too, because you can say, oh, I won the playoffs roll around, and they're actually playing for something again. Right. But – this is a team that had almost been so dominant for so long this season that they had built. I think they were up five and a half games on Boston. At oh, one it, point looked, a couple it was weeks all ago. but locked up. Right. Yeah. And they basically had nothing to play for other than maybe home court and the potential Raptors Warriors finals. You know, they did not have much to play for. So again, I'm I'm going to wait and see how they look tonight against Boston, Friday against Indiana, in basically their last two tests before the playoffs, mm-hmm. before completely writing them off. But for sure, there are reasons to be concerned. Well, fine. Yeah, I mean, this was a really good, arguably great team for 70 games of the season, right? So typically I would argue that a team after that long being great doesn't suddenly forget how to do it. But we've also seen this movie before, and so that does give me a little bit of pause. And one thing that worries me is I just wonder if maybe the book isn't out on the bench unit and you're seeing like the way that they're being defended by 
elite teams right now and they're really struggling to generate offense and they haven't been as effective for the last couple of weeks as they were early in the season. And that's probably been the biggest difference um, between where they were, uh, you know, in January, February and where they are now is that they're, they're not able to kind of blow games open with that bench unit the way that they were early in the season. Mm-hmm. And that gives me a little bit of worry heading into the playoffs because, you know, when you look at the kind of additional scouting the teams are going to have on them, and over the course of a long series, like you're just going to have more and more information. And as we've seen, like this is a season that's gone along, the more information that teams have on that bench unit that was just kind of steamrolling people for so long, uh, the less effective it's gotten. DeMar DeRozan's three-point shooting has really fallen off a cliff. Um, defensively, they are just not as sharp. Um, they've been a lot of mistakes in that Cavs game. Just leaving just wide, mind-boggling wide. mistakes. Mind-boggling mistakes. Yeah. 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 So. Look, again, I, I'm with Cash. I think this game tonight is going to tell us a lot mm-hmm. because this is the one that really, really matters. And especially because you lost last night, now it's that much more likely that Cleveland ends up in the three. Mm-hmm. You don't want to see them in round two, then you need to lock up that one seed, and they can do that by winning tonight. So if for a lot of the season, the, the Raptors looked like a team that had an on-off switch, right? And they would laze through games and then just blow them open in the fourth quarter. Right. And they would kind of get up for big games and play like a solid 48 minutes like they did in those two games against the Rockets, like they did against the Warriors in those two games that they lost but were really competitive in start to finish, like that game where they absolutely spanked the Cavaliers in December. Um, And suddenly they're starting to play these important games down the stretch of the season and they're not really able to crank it up. So if they can't get up for a game tonight where they have a chance to basically lock up the one seed, uh... I don't know that they're going to necessarily be able to get up for playoff games any more than they've been doing so far um, in April. And and that gives me a bit of worry. Do you think there's a mental block, especially there with Cleveland and LeBron James, who has pretty much just rudely dismissed the Raptors in each of the last two playoff series? I didn't think so until last night, honestly. Like, they didn't look at all phased uh, – during that December game, um, they dominated that game start to finish. Mm-hmm. 34-point win. Yeah. And, again, that was a, a kind of broken Cavaliers team, so maybe not fair to judge. But even um, the last game they played in Cleveland was a game they put up 79 points in the first half, led by 15, and went down to the wire. They kind of collapsed a little bit in the second half, but th- that's a one-possession game. So... I didn't think they were particularly phased in that game either. I just think LeBron was transcendent, and there isn't a whole lot you can do about that. Then last night, they did look kind of rattled. And you had like a guy like Pascal Siakam, who's just been so aggressive this year in transition going to the basket. He would get the ball on the break and kind of pull up short. Or he would have a little bit of space to operate with, and he would pull the ball back out. Um, And then just these mystifying mistakes on defense, where two, three guys are following the ball and leaving 40% three-point shooters wide open at the mm-hmm. three-point line time after time after time. And I don't really know what that was about. I don't know what their defensive game plan was in that game. But whatever it was, um, it, it, it was a mess. So I don't know if that was just one bad game, if for whatever reason they just weren't mentally sharp, if um, Kyle Lowry being in San Antonio celebrating the Wildcats national championship the night before played into it at all. But um, 
I don't know, man. <laughs> like after that game, it's it's hard to deny that uh, that they might have um, a bit of a, a mental deficiency against the Cavs. Cash. Yeah, I think there's for sure a mental block there, and I think it's very reasonable because I think the mental block is you're playing LeBron freaking James, and you know that you know you're not as good as him. Like I don't care how confident a pro athlete is, no one on the Raptors, at least believes nor should they believe they are in the ballpark with LeBron James and they've seen it two years in a row they've seen how he can flip a switch if he wants to mm-hmm. and take his game to a, another level yeah that no one on earth can touch and so yeah I think there is a mental block there and I think you saw it last year when I think uh, when they went down to nothing uh coming back home and I think it was Lowry and DeMar both had kind of quotes that basically made it seem like well what can you do? We're in the East with LeBron Bro, James. Tamar put $100 on LeBron's head and said, if anyone can stop LeBron, I have $100 yeah. for you. And then Lowry had those quotes too in during the, he said, the that series last year where he was saying, you know, like... If we had LeBron. But there was also the quotes where he was saying, you know, like he's not going anywhere. So oh, like, what right, are we going right. to figure... Yeah, right. But it was very much like Yikes. you could tell they were defeated before that series was even over. Mm-hmm. And... To Joe's point, sure, in that January game when they blew them out, obviously it looked like things were different, they believed. But then you look at from the late third quarter of their second meeting this season, a couple weeks ago, and all through uh, this week's game, they did not look at any point like, okay, we can actually beat this guy. We're going to win this game. They looked like that same old Raptors kind of mentality where they felt themselves crumbling before anyone else even saw it. You know, like they just don't. I don't think they believe they can beat him mm-hmm. four out of seven times. And I think that's a very reasonable thought for them to have, but it's legitimate. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, again, if the Raptors win tonight against the Celtics, I think a lot of people will feel a lot better. But if they don't, um, it's just it's just going to be a lot to, to handle because they, they had first seed locked up. They played really well all year. And then, you know, they're going to be crushed by the same narratives and sort of, uh, you know, like the whole year, the talking point was the culture change. The Raptors were going to be a different team and this and that. But if they are fundamentally similar in this in in the point where they are mentally weak and that, you know, they do defeat themselves a lot, then, you know, what was the whole season really about? So, I mean, we'll revisit the Raptors, I'm sure, throughout the playoffs. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's dire times of the Raptors right now. Um, also a bit of dire times for the Warriors and the, the Celtics. Um, the two teams are actually playing decent basketball, especially the, uh, the Celtics. Um, but they are banged up, and um, both teams could be a little bit vulnerable heading into the playoffs. So let me just ask you, which team do you, are you more worried about in terms of a first-round upset, the Warriors or the Celtics? Honestly, I think... The Warriors, and that's less a statement uh, on the quality of them compared to the Celtics, and, and more a statement, I think, on the quality of the opponents that those teams respectively are going to face in okay, the first so who, round. Who in the West is scaring you if you're the if you're the Warriors? Because the Warriors won't have Steph Curry for sure. He's got yeah. an MCL injury, but they should have everyone else. Okay, oh, no. Pat first McCall. of all, let me let me say like I, I'm not actually worried about them. Okay, uh, but right. like I think they're going to be heavily favored in the first round, no matter who they face, deservedly okay. so. But the Thunder are a half game out of the seven seed, and that matchup would kind of scare me a little bit, to they be honest. They beat the Thunder last night. They beat the Thunder last night. They beat the Thunder last night because uh, Paul George and Mello shot nine for 35. Mello was 0 for 9 from three. 
The Thunder had 22 offensive rebounds in that game, and that that's the thing that worries me. It's like mm-hmm. if you're Golden State, like what what's really your biggest weakness? It's you're a little bit flimsy up front, right? Because your best lineups are playing Durant or Draymond at center. Your traditional centers are just frankly not that good. Like you know, Javale yeah. McGee, Zaza Pachulia, um, Jordan Bell to a, a lesser extent, but you know he's undersized. Yeah, Kevon Looney. Sure. Um, Damian Jones got some run um, from some last some night's deep game. Cuts. These are some deep cut players. Um, but that's what I'm saying. So yeah, yeah. Uh, the Thunder have Steven Adams, who is just like an absolutely pulverizing force, right? Yeah, best and, offensive rebounder in the league. Right. So can you play Durant at center, Draymond at center, um, when Steven Adams is on the floor? Like, it just, I think, negates some of their biggest advantages because if Steph is on the floor, then you mitigate the damage of the other team going big basically because you force their bigs to defend in space and you win that matchup, right? You basically, you trade threes for twos. You live with getting beat on the boards because you're just going to be able to run those bigs ragged, making them defend in space. And without him, um, I mean, Durant is still a really good pick and roll player. He's a, a good pull-up shooter, but he, he doesn't have... Um, that same effect. I don't think that Curry has. And so that's one thing. Like you, you allow Steven Adams to stay on the floor and that forces you to basically leave one of like JaVale McGee or Zaza Pachulia on the floor. And then suddenly those guys are vulnerable to pick and rolls involving Steven Adams, who's a great screener mm-hmm. and Russell Westbrook, who can get going downhill and absolutely demolish those guys. And the other thing is like Westbrook probably then has like a hiding place on defense. He doesn't have to worry about chasing Steph Curry around or chasing Klay Thompson around, you stick him on Quinn Cook and he can kind of play a little bit more free safety and just try and hunt for steals and be a little more disruptive and, and not worry about his bad gambles coming back to burn them. So I, I would worry about that matchup a little bit. That's probably the one I would worry about the most. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I, I still think that the Warriors would be heavily favored and that they would probably win the series. But uh, that team is just not even close to the same without Steph there. Yeah, and, for sure, for sure. Um, it's built around Steph. It's built around Steph, and, and as as good as Durant is, like maybe part of it is just familiarity and the fact that Steph played with them for a lot longer. The team is sort of built around his talents. Yeah, for sure. And this is the first time they're being forced to play with Durant and not with Steph. Mm-hmm. But if you look at like how Clay and Draymond play when they're on the floor with Durant compared to how they play when they're on the floor with Steph, it's completely different. Yeah, exactly. And... I don't know. Part of me just feels like in the wrong matchup at the wrong time with a couple bad bounces, they could be had. Um, I don't think they will, but I think they could be. Cash. All right. I think everything you said is valid. (laughs) And I think I agree that, you know, Steph is the difference between whether this team is unbeatable in a playoff series or not. The way he warps the floor is what makes the Warriors the Warriors Mm -hmm. at their most uh, unbeatable selves. But come on, are we really having this conversation? Come on. At the end of the day, yeah. mm-hmm. would you really be more concerned about the Warriors in the first round with KD, Clay, and Draymond than you would about the Celtics? And look, I respect everything. The Celtics, the Celtics have Terry Rozier. Let's have respect like, on this, Terry Rozier. Exactly do, do you trust any of those like East teams that are six, seven, eight right now? Yo, I, listen, Milwaukee's been disappointing all year. They've, uh-huh. they've been a bad team, basically, for the most part. They've got, they have a negative point differential. Yeah. But you give me Milwaukee, Boston, with Kyrie's health up in the air... I might lean Milwaukee just because I think Giannis is that good. And in a playoff series, I think he could take it over. We just saw Milwaukee win last night. Exactly. Like, here's the thing with Boston. And I respect everything they've done. I really think it's 
basically incredible, like unbelievable what they've done with Gordon Hayward going down three minutes into the season, with Kyrie being out as long as he's he's been out, and they they even missing a guy like Smart. Smart's very important for that team, just in terms of setting the tone and and losing him and so like. Their ability to not only survive and just kind of keep their heads above water, but to stay in every single game and then win most of those games and be a 55-plus win team. Yeah. This season, it's all incredible, and I respect it. And I do get that with Kyrie in there, they're a very different team this year. They've turned the roster over. But with Kyrie's health up in the air, you kind of look down this roster, and it is very similar to the last few years. What have the Celtics been the last few years? They've been kind of labeled um, mockingly as tryhards. They who, try very hard. Who, Brad Stevens, to his credit, yeah, that's a, that's he gets a credit. every ounce of these guys out yeah. of them yeah. in the regular season. But when the playoffs roll around and it's a lot more matchup driven and the best players are playing more minutes and the best players take over series and have the ball in their hands way more often, the Celtics kind of crumble. And you saw it two years ago, you saw it a year ago, you saw it three years ago. And last year, people forget, okay, they finally got over the hump with Brad Stevens. They only got out of the first round as a one seed because Rajon Rondo got hurt in 2017. Like, they needed 2017 Rajon Rondo to get hurt to beat the eight-seeded Bulls last season. So it's not like they figured anything out playoff-wise last year. If you look at the way they've been surviving and thriving without Kyrie Irving recently, it's very similar to the Celtics in the last few years. I would not trust that team as a typical two-seed, one-seed, whatever they end up with, playing against the Milwaukee. Okay, fine. Miami doesn't really offer much in the terms of threatening, but great defensive team. Miami's can, just as good defensively as the, exactly. as the Boston Celtics So are, either of those teams, if, of the the, if the Wizards fall to seven or eight, which they yeah. could very well do, and John Wall gets back, like... That's not a great matchup for the Celtics. I just think, are the do the Warriors have a more than zero percent chance of losing a series without Curry? Sure, but are they actually more vulnerable in the first round with the talent at their disposal than the Celtics are? No way. Yeah, Cash, I got I got to agree with you. I got to agree with you. We're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna come back with Make or Miss League. Welcome back to the Pound the Rock podcast. Still here with Wolfon and Cash. We are moving into our Make or Miss League segment, which um, the Make or Miss League, honestly, like that's it's such a ubiquitous NBA phrase, um, and it's used in so many contexts to sort of explain away things. Basically, it's an explanation for things that um, doesn't really offer an explanation whatsoever. It just kind of dismisses the question, and it's most commonly used by Dwayne Casey, who also inspired the name pound the rock i know it's not uh his saying i know it's a spurs saying but he's the one that really put that rock he there's really a rock in somewhere in the air Canada center it used to be in front of the raptors locker room right uh, just a massive rock like there's nothing special to it right like it was just like a piece of the canadian shield that is just sitting there <laughs> and uh, i imagine every single day Dwayne casey pound the rock but he Dwayne casey also says make or miss league quite a bit and so Basically, we're just going to rapid fire through a couple of segments here. Um, first question. Is it a make or is it a miss? Is Indiana underrated? Yeah, I'm going to call it a make. I feel yeah. like okay. I feel like they are. Um, and not necessarily because I believe that they're going to win a first round series. But I, I do think like they are really the team that everybody talks about as the, the matchup that you want the team that you want to play. And I don't know if that's necessarily valid. Like they, they've been consistently good from start to finish this year. Um, 
honestly as consistent as pretty much any team in the Eastern Conference. And I understand that the worries about that team, uh, they're young and inexperienced. And after Oladipo, they don't really have a, a second guy who they can rely on uh, offensively. Mm-hmm. But I like the way their pieces fit together. And they rely a lot on mid-range shooting, but they have a lot of really good mid-range shooters. Uh, Bogdanovich has been sneaky good for them this year. And their offense has been consistently top 10 pretty much all season. And their defense, which was kind of their big bugaboo at the beginning of the year, uh, since it started 2018, it was seventh in the NBA. So they've really come around on that side of the floor. Darren Collison was like absolutely shooting the lights out. And from their starting five down through... You know, their bench rotation of Corey Joseph, DeMantis Sabonis, Lance Stevenson, that's, I think, a pretty solid eight-man playoff rotation. And I don't know. I just feel like everybody's looking past them and dismissing them as a, as a potential um, first-round opponent and not really considering them as a team that can do any damage in the playoffs. So I do think that they are a little bit underrated in that respect because I think they could be a tough out. And Oladipo's been unbelievable this year. Uh, really like a top 15 player easy yeah and if if he can bring it he, he was lousy in the playoffs last year but uh obviously is a much different player this time around so if he can bring it and i, I don't know I, I like the supporting cast i feel like it, it's just a, a well constructed roster that uh plays really hard and could do some damage cash yeah uh i'd have to agree and say it's a make just because i think i think there's a large segment of fans uh, outside Indiana that just didn't believe this in this team from the beginning. Most people didn't. Why would you? They did not look good on paper. Right. Uh, and I think those people just don't believe um, that they're this good. And then I think even people that maybe respect what they've done this year and realize how consistent they've been, like Joe was saying, don't actually believe that they're, you know, going to contend to win a series. Or, you know, you talk about they don't have necessarily a lot of top-tier talent. But like Joe said, Oladipo has been like a top 15, top 20 player at worst this season. And going into a playoff series... If he is who he's been through basically 82 games this year, that player is good enough to win you a playoff series. So I think, yeah, I think despite the fact they've been as good as they've been on you know both ends of the court uh, for as long as they've been, people still don't seem to believe that they're this good, and that's literally the definition of underrated. Yeah, I'm going to go miss. Because, look, in the playoffs, if you have a team with a guard and that's pretty much your one option – um, that starts everything for you. If you're just going to trap Oladipo, and I'm not saying it's that simple. Obviously, I'm sure the, the Pacers have developed counters to this over the season. But if you send two defenders and try to neutralize Oladipo as much as possible, you trap him coming off high pick and rolls and everything like that, you get back in transition, he makes a lot of his baskets that way. If you do that against Indiana and they are forced to turn to secondary scoring, who is their second guy, right? And at that point, it's it's inconsistent because the Miles Turner, he's some games he makes shots, sometimes he doesn't. So make or miss league, Doug. Um, you know, or, you know, Thaddeus Young, like, it's, I don't know. I have I have concerns with Indiana. Next one. Make or miss, Ben Simmons is rookie of the year. Yeah, no question. That's a make. Yeah. Uh, all due respect to Donovan Mitchell. He's been great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Tatum's been really good. But Did you on. know Jason Tatum's only 20? <laughs> well, Celtics fans will have you know easily. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I think um, Ben Simmons is the rookie of the year, and for me, it's not close. Okay. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh I think it is close, but um, I, I just think he, like, I feel like Donovan Mitchell's maybe had higher highs, but Ben Simmons has just been, like, steadier, more consistently good. And 
ultimately does more things well. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell's a better scorer, and I feel like Ben Simmons is better at almost everything else. He's a great defender, too. People yeah, don't really he, talk about how good he is at defense totally. and how vital he is to the Sixers, you know, doing what they do. To be fair, I, I think Donovan Mitchell's actually a really good defender as well. Okay. But uh, I don't think he's been as good at that end of the floor. And honestly, I, I feel like the big selling point for Mitchell as Rookie of the Year was that he's basically been leading a team. He's been their number one offensive option for most of the year. And... Ben Simmons is kind of getting that opportunity right now with Joel Embiid out and is really he's thriving a in that role. Like every night. He's just been dominant. In and wins. yeah, it's. I, I think that he's the rookie of the year. I do think it's close, but I think he's he's got it. Donovan Mitchell, I think you see you see things about him that he can be great and you can yeah. look at him like he's having a great rookie year. But For I sure. feel like when you watch Ben Simmons, you already see a transcendent talent. Yeah, that's true. Although Ben Simmons did have that advantage of taking a whole year to sort of build the body and get used to the NBA travel lifestyle. But, I mean, come on. I mean, Blake Griffin had the same scenario happen to him. So, no, it doesn't take away anything from Ben Simmons, who has been phenomenal as a rookie. That's definitely a make. Um, make or miss. Anthony Davis. Should he actually shave his unibrow? Because he pulled an April Fool's prank. He didn't actually do it. But should he? should he shave that thing? Nah, that's a miss. That's a miss. Okay. I mean, it's a it's part of the brand at this point. It is his only brand. He has no <laughs> other personality, to be honest. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, his brand is having a unibrow and being an exceptional <laughs> basketball player. Which what a brand! It's not. It's not bad. Um, nah, I, I think it's cool. You know, it's this, this often derided physical characteristic that he's mm-hmm. made kind of cool. So yeah, yeah. I, I like that he's leaned into it. And, um, yeah, I think I, like everybody else, would be disappointed if he shaved it. It's just, it's such a staple of NBA culture at this point. It would be like James Harden shaving his beard to me. So, yeah. I think he's got to keep it. Cash. Yeah, I hate that we're agreeing on everything, but I, I have to agree with Joe in saying that's a miss. Don't don't shave that thing. I think if you were going to shave it, shave it in college or, like, before you became this transcendent NBA star. But once you get to the league with that look, once you're marketed – Mm-hmm. With that look, you got to keep that look till you retire. You're this is who you are, Anthony, and embrace it. That's true. Also, uh, facial hair, especially eyebrows, are like much more important and stylish nowadays. And like, it's it's becoming more grownly accepted so, to have a unibrow. Let's not go that far, okay? This a We're unibrow not- is still a terrible look, okay? If you've got a full on unibrow, get rid of that thing. If you're Anthony Davis, keep it. Let's not let's not get too far out of our socks. All right. Well, that's yeah. what we're doing. I mean, what, like, what if Frida Kahlo had shaved her unibrow? You exactly. know, exactly, exactly. What would Frida be without that unibrow? <laughs> <Nothing>. <laughs> Um, uh, anyway, anyway, next one. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, keep that thing, man. He has two nicknames, the Unibomber and the Brow, and both of them are Unibrow <laughs> nicknames. He would just be Anthony Davis, and at that point, Anthony Davis is a very generic name. I didn't even heard Unibomber before. That's that's a new one to me. That's a pretty good one, right? Though Unibomber. All right. I mean, like I, I think like we we really killed a lot of people. Yeah, I, was gonna say, <laughs> I, I don't know how much Anthony All Davis right. wants us to be talking about the fact that people call him Unibomber. I know Nike definitely doesn't want to say time with that. All right. Uh, next one. Um, make or miss. Was Whiteside right to complain about his minutes? Hassan Whiteside, um, you know, is known for a good post-game quote uh, as, you know, the 2K, trying to get a 2K rating up, um, demonstrated like three years ago now, basically. But, uh, yeah, Whiteside benched for a while uh, in a loss for the Heat. The Heat are still desperately trying to climb the – 
the the standings before the season is over. Make or miss. Uh, I'm going to say it's a miss. He should not have complained about it. Here's the thing with Hassan Whiteside. Yeah. He's always put up numbers, and he's a great defensive player. He's learned to be a better defensive player. He doesn't gamble as much. He doesn't leave his team out to dry um, by chasing blocks that aren't there. He's become a good defender. Mm -hmm. That team cannot score with him on the court for whatever reason. Um, Well, for a lot of reasons. He's not the most uh, intelligent offensive player. But uh, they're about five points per 100 possessions better offensively when he's on the bench and the difference in the way they play defensively actually does not mitigate that. Mm-hmm. So they've been better with Hassan Whiteside on the bench. And there's a reason why the guy's playing seven less minutes per game this year than he did last year. He has regressed. He's been banged up uh, for parts of the season. And, you know, they ended up, the Heat ended up pulling out uh, a win against Atlanta. It was a very ugly win. They should have won by more. But they won the game. Hassan Whiteside just, he's not as good as he thinks he is. Yeah. He's always been the kind of guy that just looks at the stat sheet after the game and says, well, I put up whatever, 20 points, 15 rebounds, and four blocks. Like, how can I not play? There's more to the game than just those basic box score numbers. Mm-hmm. And when Hassan Whiteside figures that out, he'll understand why he's not playing more minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be, you know, play devil's advocate and say it's a make. He was right to complain about his role because if Hassan Whiteside feels that you know, he's a, an elite player, which he seems to feel. He's and got a max contract. A, he's got a max contract, thinks he should be playing more, then, yeah, come out and say it. Why not? You know, like, you want a bigger role? Like, you, there, there's probably a team out there that would be willing to give it to you. So, if that's what you want, then let it be known that you don't want to be in Miami where your role is being minimized because they have a more egalitarian system. Mm. And see if you can force your way out of town. Why not? <laughs> I yeah, you are lying through your teeth. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think part of it is also a matchup thing, right? Like, for most centers nowadays, if you are not able to be dominant on offense, then you have to be dominant on defense. Because otherwise, what are you really on the floor for? Especially nowadays with, um, you know, how the pace and space game is moving. And being dominant on the floor doesn't just mean getting 15 rebounds uh, and, you know, however many points. Being dominant on the floor is like, can you dissuade shots? Are you an issue in pick and roll? Are, if you, are you always dropping back so that someone can always pull up and shoot over you? Like, these are real issues um, that a, a team like Miami, which, you know, they don't have that... Miami is what they are because they have to squeeze every little bit out of the margins. And if you are on the floor and you are a sink to the team, it doesn't matter if you make the max contract. Eric Spolstra is one of the most respected coaches in the league. He built Hassan Whiteside into an NBA player, and he got that max contract on the virtue of sort of what the Heat have given to him. And, you know, like, if Whiteside has those concerns, he should have talked to Spolstra. He, I think he has talked to Spolstra in the past, but it's just not a good look to do that. And besides, like, you can't really challenge Spolstra in the public sphere because Spolstra is a, is a two-time, like, NBA champion. Like, he has coach teams to the championship he's widely respected and so like you know it, it's just hard you, it's hard to argue against your father basically and pat riley has his back and pat riley has his back exactly yeah i mean all that makes sense yeah. <laughs> um but bet on and, yourself yeah no bet on yourself and uh you know if you think you can find a different situation elsewhere then you know i don't have a problem with it i just think uh, he it it demonstrates i think a lack of understanding of the situation that he's in um, because look, like part of it is just that like Kelly Olynyk's having a good season and he'd have been really good with Kelly Olynyk on the floor. Part of it's the fact that they run a lot of their offense through James Johnson, who's mm-hmm. a non-shooter and likes to play at the elbows and in the post a lot. And their spacing is too cramped when those two guys are out there together. So, um, 
to, to just come out and say, like, I should be getting more minutes, I think, you know, you elude uh, kind of a lot of the context that's important to explaining the situation mm-hmm. and, and the reason that he is being left on the bench in crunch time. So um, from that end of it, argument, like, I, I'm totally with you guys. But, uh, you know, if, again, like, I feel like if, if Hassan feels like uh, he is a particular kind of player, then uh, he has a right to air those grievances. So good on him. Okay, last one. Make or miss. Are you offended by Kevin Durant calling you a blog boy 65 times during the Ringers uh, two-part podcast with Kevin Durant and Bill Simmons? Uh, and, you know, f- just for transparency's sakes, we are all technically blog boys. We all write blog posts um, about basketball. So we're blog boys. Cash, are you offended being a blog boy? Listen, man, I... To be honest, I'm not offended. I'm just annoyed every time Kevin Durant opens his mouth. He's like, it's if got you, terrible like, PR, man. My He's God, what happened PR. to you, Kevin Durant? I still love watching Kevin Durant play uh-huh. basketball. The guy's one of the best pure scorers to ever walk the face of the earth. Yes. But what happened to this guy? Mm. Like He says he never changed. Oh, my God. Which is God. a lie. Yo, he stop. like fully bought into that... That's a lie. that uh that commercial Nike ran from like the KD's not nice, which yeah. the whole point of it was supposed to be that he actually was like the nicest guy in the world. And you yeah. know, the MVP speech and the mom, all of his like praise for his mom at some point between then. And when he came back from that first injury he had, when he needed the screw put in his foot and he like spent that summer rehabbing, whatever it was, he made that documentary about his summer. He came back from that a f- couple years ago, a few years ago when he was still in OKC mm-hmm. talking about how like, he's not the person the media wants him to be and he talked about how the media is against him even though up to that point in his career the media did nothing but praise him and his personalities mm. just I, I don't know what happened to the guy now literally anytime yeah. he speaks about the media or the way he's covered it's just like the most ridiculous bull crap yeah and this is another example of, like even if you listen to it he's oh. talking about how he hates analytics and those numbers don't mean anything and like he's more of a fan of like things like rebounds and turnovers and like oh man Dude, just let us enjoy you play basketball. If you have something important to share with the world about important topics, go ahead. Talk about them. But your, like, anti-media rants are a gong show. Please just stop. (laughs) Well, well, yeah. I mean, look, I think Durant's coming from the perspective of, like, a lot of people, public sentiment turned against him. Right. And, and, you know, he doesn't want to just do what the media wants him to do. He wants to do what he wants to do. But, like... I mean, come on, man. But the, the just, just be is, like, just be honest about it, right? That's the same sort of issue that came up with the with the burner accounts. It's just like, are you are you being honest about the whole thing? Are you being honest about you know what you want, what what you want to be portrayed as? Because this whole time, it really does feel like ever since the him crying at the podium thing, which is a great speech, like you know people have been willing to give him chances. Of course, he's a great player, but it's just like how he's carried himself. I mean, I don't know how many like times he's gone to Quebec and ate Timbits <laughs> and realized people he f- spoke French, you know, in Canada, and then all of a sudden that changes word world view. Like, that's a real story, by the way. Yeah, that's, that's um, a direct. Um, but I mean, seriously, like, just I, I don't know. Katie just seems kind of conflicted. What about, what about you, Wolf on Blog Boy? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, first off, it's a miss for me. Like, I, I'm not offended by it. I am okay. a Blog Boy, a proud yeah. Blog Boy, and like. <laughs> yeah. I'm cool with it. You wear free Darko shirts. Yeah. So I got to lean into it. That's Um, peak blog. You know, just like Anthony Davis has leaned into his unibrow. But uh, I don't know. Like, to your point, I think it's hard to be honest about your insecurities. And Mm. I I think a a lot of this for Durant has come from a place of insecurity. Obviously, having a burner account where you're going online defending yourself 
demonstrates a, a bit of a thin skin, which is, is totally fine and totally human and totally fair. Right. So I understand that not being an easy thing to come out and be like, yeah, look, I'm insecure. I don't like the way that I'm covered. I want to be liked. Like, I just want everybody to be nice to me. And so it manifests as, as more of an offensive because that's a more comfortable place for somebody to be is like attacking people and, you know, kind of, I think puffing yourself up a bit and uh, projecting from a place of strength rather than from a place of perceived weakness. So it makes sense to me. I'm not really bothered by it. It does kind of annoy me sometimes, but like, I just can't really be bothered to care. Like, I I hope he's happy and I I hope that he's found what he wants in Golden State. And like, I can totally understand why it would suck to just get dumped on by fans and by the media and... You know, I, I sympathize with that to a certain extent, but at the same time, like, I don't, just be happy. You're incredibly talented, incredibly famous, and incredibly rich, and it's a great life, you know? And I, I know that doesn't mean that you're just going to be happy all the time. Uh, I'm not saying that, but to come out and, and kind of, like, go on the attack the way that he has, um, it's kinda, I feel like it, it's, it's unnecessary, not a, really. It's not it's a great extra. look. Yeah. He's an extra dude. Yeah. And he's fake. That's the that's the issue with KD. Is Wait, how, what are you talking about? The man who leads the league in ejections this year after having like one ejection oh, all like, year before this? You know, you want to go back to when it looked like, you know, he made it seem like he was ready to throw hands with DeMarcus Cousins. And then yeah, you bro, hear the story on. after and it's like Boogie, he had to be hidden from Boogie. So yeah. that Boogie didn't go after him. Like he's just not really about that. Yeah. And... Again, yeah, did people turn on him after the Warriors move? Yes, but he was complaining about the media narrative of him when everyone still loved him his last year in OKC. Like, it's just, he's not an authentic guy, and I think that's what bothers people. It's not that he actually calls us blog boys, who cares? It's the fact that you can just tell he's so inauthentic. Well, I think... Blog boy is also just a very, very cool name. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Blog boy is nice. NBA blog boy. Um, Yeah, I think... probably the most important thing for him to come to terms with is that he's just never going to be able to please everybody. And yeah. and I think he's just got to find some measure of peace with that. Yeah. And, and just be cool with the fact that he's going to get some scrutiny from some corners of the NBA community, some corners of the internet yeah. and, and just be fine with it. Um, I thought he would take a similar path like what LeBron took, right? right? Year one, when LeBron went to Miami, the scrutiny was, first of all, the scrutiny when LeBron went to Miami, way worse than what happened to Kevin Durant. Both unfair, but realistically, just you could understand the emotional reaction. LeBron got it way worse. But LeBron kind of owned it after the second. He was just like, I stopped enjoying playing basketball. Like, I want to just, you know, enjoy myself and, and go out there and just and play. And he was a lot more freer in what he did. He had one of his best seasons ever. He won his first title. Like, good things happen for LeBron. And then ever since then, LeBron has been, you know, scrutinized endlessly. Of course, LeBron gets scrutinized for anything. He could say anything he wants. He said yesterday something about, oh, I'm an extension of the coach out there. And people were like, oh, see, he's. You know, he's the coach, blah, 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 blah. And, like, LeBron, he has thick skin at this point. He's like, yeah. I, I just I just roll with it. Durant also had the benefit of not losing a title in his first year in Golden State, right? And having to deal with yeah, a exactly. whole other year of just people talking about how you're weak-minded and don't, like, have the clutch gene. And uh, he won the title in his first year, was NBA Finals MVP. like 35 points, man. Yeah, he was yeah. ridiculously good. And yeah. at that point, he was basically bulletproof, you know? Like, he didn't need to prove anything to anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was strange. And then he had burner accounts. Like. The, the summer after doing that, after basically reaching the summit, being on top of the NBA world, people are legitimately talking about him as the best player in the NBA. People are asking the question, has he supplanted LeBron as number one in the NBA? And 
you know, it just, what, what do you have to prove at that point? You know, just, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just wanted to be happy is what I'm saying. <laughs> Speaking of LeBron, uh, we end every podcast by looking back at great playoff moments. Um, and LeBron, you know, for a while, LeBron was known as someone that doesn't deliver in the clutch. Uh, but that honestly, just that narrative really only applied to like a two year stretch. Um, you know, how he left it in the last year with Cleveland before he came back and also in that, that 2011 uh, Maverick series. But LeBron had plenty of clutch moments before, um, you know, he became a uh, three-time champion. And one of those clutch moments was challenging Gilbert Arenas in Game 6. Um, the Cavs were up 3-2. The Wizards had um, Gilbert Arenas, who is a fantastic shooter of basketballs, um, at the free throw line, about to uh, shoot two free throws. That w- the Wizards were up one point at this time. Gilbert misses the first free throw. Then there's like that you know usual procession between the free throw. LeBron comes over for no reason really, taps Gilbert on the shoulder, whispers something in his ear, and then Gilbert misses the second one, and the, the Cavaliers win that game and the series. So, cash. Great memories. Great and this memory, is this man. is this is one move. of those things where move. you know the the uh, the Jordan truthers who like refuse to believe LeBron could ever enter his stratosphere that always point to things like well LeBron didn't do this like Jordan he didn't have the clutching he didn't have that killer instinct he didn't you know MJ would show up with a, a victory cigar already in his mouth like yeah. LeBron would never have the the gall to do that and yeah. man go back and watch this clip. His team was down one, yeah. and a great free throw shooter was at the line. A great shooter. Arenas misses the first one. He's most likely going to make the second one, and LeBron walks up to him, taps him on the shoulder, and it's been it's come out since then that what he said was something along the lines of, if you miss both, we're winning this game. Or, like, if you miss this next one, you're it's losing. It's over for you. But yeah, it's over. Like, something along those lines. Just the... The most boss thing you can do in that moment. He was still a very young player at this yeah. time. Like, what, 21 maybe? 22? Yeah, 22. Um, just a great moment. Arenas misses it, and the Cavs come back, and eventually Damon Jones, I believe. Damon Jones. Hits the game-winning Damon. three after LeBron swings the ball, and then it swings again to the corner. Um, yeah, just a great moment for LeBron. I think a, a, a very boss LeBron moment that most people have forgotten. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also just a great moment in, in retrospect, because at the time we didn't realize what a jerk Gilbert Arenas was. Yeah, and true. it's come out in the years since. So now you can watch it, you know, um, nowadays and like look back on it and get extra happy about it because you just see Gilbert Arenas suffering. Yeah, I can't lie. Like the, the way that things have played out with Arenas, just from the way his career petered out to obviously the guns in the locker room to him just kind of being like a misogynistic asshole on yeah. social media has really hurts me because he was straight up my favorite player during he's, those he's like, mid two thousands years. Hibachi. It, it was unreal. And I I would have loved to have seen him play like in this NBA where basically every scoring point guard is doing what he was doing then just like pulling up from 28 30 feet on He's the regular basically he was damian lillard yeah he was proto lillard with, without the soundcloud <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that that this was one of my favorite playoff series ever and it was like lebron and arenas going back and forth tit for tat mm-hmm. and that game six was so incredible uh arenas hits like a 30 foot bomb to tie the game with two seconds left in regulation and then, obviously, you know, LeBron's godfather moment at the free throw line, and he makes a great read to find Damon Jones in the corner for the game winner. And 
maybe you won't remember this part of that narrative, but like there was this narrative for a while that LeBron was too passive and he yeah. couldn't be like MJ because when the game was on the line, he didn't take the shot himself. He preferred to pass it to a teammate, which was always just to- totally insane uh, because that to me is what defines LeBron's greatness. The fact that he didn't need to take the last shot. He was always going to make the right play. And that was a perfect example of it. Trusting Damon Jones and uh, winning a series because trusting of Larry Hughes before Damon Jones giving him the ball. That's right. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, that was just a, an amazing series, man. Like I, I loved that rivalry between those two teams. Also, trusting Larry Hughes and Damon Jones might have been even more boss and uh, confident than walking up to Gilbert Arenas at the free throw line telling him he's. It yeah. would have been really funny if the Cavs didn't win that game. Like, if LeBron walked up to Gilbert, like, psyched him out, and then <laughs> he passed it to Damon Jones, who missed. <laughs> that would have been a really funny way for that game to end. Yeah. And that would that would have gone to Game 7. Um, but... like, I really wonder if if LeBron was thinking in that moment as he was walking up to Gil and telling him that if he missed the free throw that it was over, like, how it was going to go down. Like, yeah, you're going to miss this free throw. I'm going to pass out of a double team to Larry Hughes who's going to pass it to Damon Jones, and that's how we're going to win the game. Yeah. You know, no one expected LeBron to pass, but I mean, he got trapped at half court. What are you gonna do? Um, okay, that does a uh, that does it for the podcast. Thank you to both Wolfon and Cash for coming on the podcast, uh, and we'll be back next week. This will be an NBA podcast that will come out weekly, and next week we'll talk more about um, sort of the, the last dregs of the playoff race. And thank you to everyone for listening. Yeah.